Colleagues, the collapse of the Soviet Union has destroyed the equilibrium of the geopolitical forces. The West has felt that it's uh, the winner and has proclaimed the unipolar world order, where only its will, its culture and its interests had the right to exist. Now this historical period of undivided domination of the West is coming to an end. It's becoming the thing of the past, I mean the unipolar world. We are facing a historic milestone. Ahead of us is possibly the most dangerous, unpredictable and at the same time crucial decade since the end of the Second World War. The West is, in, is incapable of unilaterally governing the humanity, however it desperately tries to do that. The majority of the nation does, does not want to make peace with that. That is the main contradiction of the new era. The situation is rather revolutionary if we apply to, to the classics. The elites do not want uh, the change, but uh, the poor do not okay, cannot live any longer with that. How to solve the issues of tomorrow is the main task for humanity. That is a painful and natural, though unavoidable, process. The future world order is being sh is being shaped before our eyes, and in this case, we need to listen to everyone, to hear out every point of view, every nation, every society, culture, and religious ideas without imposing a single truth upon anyone. And only on the basis of that, understanding our responsibility for the destiny of the planet, we should build the symphony of human civilization. I think I, I, I would like to wrap up with that, and I would like to thank you for the patience that you have shown me listening to my statement. Thank you. Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host Citizen Socialist Andy Lipson, writing teacher Jessica, and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. We are online at what-s-left.webno.com. You can find that link to our blog in the episode notes, uh, where you found this episode. Uh, you can also find our personal social media handle as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZDKE on Instagram, and Jess's Twitter handle as jhomie89. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on notifications, and share your favorite episode where we found this episode. Thank you. Uh, Andy, why don't you introduce the, the topic for today? So I sent all of you a link to uh, a speech by Vladimir Putin to the Valdai Discussion Club, which is a kind of a Russian think tank. Um, it's kind of considered the Davos of the Russians, you know. The elite meet there, um, but supposedly not the corporate elite, um, just like the state elite. Um, uh, I don't, I can't speak to the truth of that, but um, that's one of the things I heard. And and it, it got a, among people who I pay attention to and respect in their analysis of the Ukraine stuff, who are critical of the, the U.S. NATO and do understand that U.S. is engaging in a proxy war with Russia. By doing this thing in Ukraine, by so you know, by by sending weapons to Ukraine, that they're essentially fighting the Russians to the last Ukrainian using U.S. weapons um, and U.S. money. Um, so those people who understand that were very, in various levels, enchanted by this speech um, because it was very uh, emboldening for them as 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 Vladimir Putin 
spoke of challenging the unipolar world of the U.S. and their new world order and their globalist order, um, and you know went out and took shots at cancel culture, took shots at the rules-based order that is always talked about by the U.S. Um, and actually spoke and, and characterized the West and particularly the U.S. part of the West as hegemonic and domineering and aligned it in many ways with fascism um, and then went on to describe their own selves as part of the multicultural, democratic, multi, uh, kind of like a, we'll, we, we will bring forth a, a new humanity, you know, if we, if we can see our vision forward, uh, the kind of Putin, Xi, um, even, but, it, but in conjunction with Latin America and Africa and that. So it was very interesting. And I guess the really most fascinating part for me of this speech was the end um, where he said, um, this is like last two or three paragraphs. Uh, now this historical period of boundless Western domination in world affairs is coming to an end. The unipolar world is being relegated into the past. We are at a historical crossroads. We are in for probably the most dangerous, unpredictable, and at the same time, most important decade since the end of World War II. The West is unable to rule humanity single-handedly, single and the majority of nations no longer want to put up with this. This is the main contradiction of the new era. To cite a classic, this is a revolutionary situation to some extent. The elites cannot, the elites cannot essentially rule, and the people do not want to live like that any longer. Um, and the classic he's citing is um, Lenin, who wrote about a revolutionary situ situation being when it is impossible for the ruling for the ruling class to maintain their rule without any change, uh, for a revolution to take place, it is usually insufficient for the lower class not to want to live in the old way. It is also necessary that the upper classes should be unable to rule in the old way. So it, I'm like, I'm just curious what y'all would make of such such a thing of reading this document. I have my take on what what's going on here with with this guy. Um, I know there were some people who got excited about it who again are critical of of the United States and who in many ways would, would want, do they, I would, would see Russia as actually liberating Ukraine in some way, shape or form. Um, and I wanted to talk about that. And I wanted to talk about the left in that regard, even though I would say there, there are libertarians who fall for that kind of thing and think that this is a challenge to the new world order put forward by the U S hegemony. Um, so that was, that's, that's, I mostly wanted to see what y'all would make of the speech. I could go first. I guess I'll just talk from like my emotions first of all, before I go into some intellectual analysis. I, I felt just reading this, Eugene is so hypocritical. That's how I felt about it. Just like, like there's a banning of what you can read. There's a banning of like, of people expressing their sexuality there's a there's so much that is restricted in their society that i felt like what are you talking about like criticizing the west when you're not criticizing your own government like you're not really looking at your own government and then i thought about how maybe that is how the even though it's western europe it's like a, it's like on the eastern side but like how the russians must see the USA, how they as well, when people talk about democracy here, it then is like, 
they're so hypocritical. They're not really that democratic. And so I got a feel for what it feels like to be on the other side, because sometimes I feel, I guess, been conditioned to think that it's those dictatorships like North Korea, like Russia, like uh, Venezuela, like a lot of those countries are more restrictive than ours. But seeing this perspective of criticism onto a Western nation like the USA or even the UK allows me to feel like what maybe those people on that side, right? Like the people on that side of the globe feel about us. So I, I did feel it was hypocritical, but now I think all politicians are hypocritical, whether it's Biden delivering it's, of course I've thought about it that way, but more just, I feel maybe if I'm, to, to be honest, maybe they're more hypocritical because they have more restrictions. That's how I think of it, right? But like, it is uh, maybe not as overt. These 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 uh these Western like the UK and and the USA's uh, uh, way of thinking is just it, it's not as overt. But there's a lot of corruption that happens, and so I I just was able to feel that like my goodness, this is what how how mad how how frustrating it is uh, when anyone listens to Biden or anyone listens to these Democrats or anyone listens to the Repo well, the Republicans and Democrats are like as one so hypocritical in everything that they say. Just any any I guess leadership in the like in the EU or UK or USA that are touted as being liberal countries or very progressive or very democratic so i think that that's my point uh that's how i felt emotionally about this thinking my goodness why are you talking about this i wish you would actually apply this in your own society and actually be a change and demonstrate what you're trying to communicate here and uh and if you think you can do it better then do it uh, uh so that's what i felt uh as analysis i agree a lot there's a lot. I mean, he even refers, as you said, Andy, to the cancel culture, right? Like there is a lot of things here that I agree with that are a part of the criticism of how globalization has really, um, and, and how Germany uh, has really overtaken uh, culturally, uh, institutionally, the globe. And he refers, it's, it's like, you know, there are other continents like Asia and Africa and Latin America and you know the USA acts as if there's only one the western civilization that's more important um, and he talks about our common space with Eurasia space and, and such things so there's a lot there that I agree with yeah I mean I don't feel dissimilar like I don't know I mean a lot of what he says, like the shots that he takes at the West and the United States in particular are totally correct. I mean, he brings up everything from like 2014 coup in Ukraine, right? Um, Suleimani assassination, mm -hmm. all the way to, yeah, like the cancel culture stuff. Americans thinking there are like 76 genders and uh, sanction. I mean, it's a three hour plus speech. So he covers a lot of different things, but I mean, at the end of the day, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I've said before on this show, like this is this, 
area of the world is definitely not my, I don't feel like it's my wheelhouse. I don't really feel like I have enough understanding of the history. Um, but I don't trust any politician as far as I could throw them. And I, I mean, I guess I, I guess I would be down to, with the argument that out of, you know, the two countries, like he is in some ways the lesser evil. Right. Um, I mean, even just, you know, nuclear comes up a bunch. Right. And one of the things he points out when they ask him, like, well, is this going to go to nuclear war? And he says, you know, the only country in the world that has used nuclear weapons against, uh, you know, a population is is uh, is the U.S. Right. Which they did on a basically defeated civilian population. Um, So. Is he the lesser evil? Maybe. But I mean, that doesn't make it good. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't convince me of much. Um, I mean, he talks about development, like building nuclear, nuclear plants in other countries as like a means of reducing global poverty and like global inequality. You know, like just as an example, that's insane that a nuclear plant, I mean, okay, yeah, it might create a few jobs in the short term, but it is only going to do terrible things to humans. Um, so there were, there were definitely a few moments like that, um, especially since we have been talking about nuclear, I guess, with some of the um, geoengineering stuff we've been talking about. I mean, from this angle, we're talking about weapons you know as well as energy um but yeah i don't know i mean skeptical eye but a lot of what he a lot of his critiques are correct i'm kind of curious i don't know andy like if at some point you want to say more about like this venue i i was just reading the transcript so i don't know if people are watching like video or whatnot but this club and like I I think it said at the beginning that there were like several hundred reporters and I did read um the Q&A and you know there's people from like all different countries um like NATO countries um South Africa Eurasia like all over um and quite a few Russian reporters um so I'm curious like who like who gets invited to report like how does that work um cuz he definitely in the Q and A, like he definitely can tell, like he's talking to, especially with the Russian reporters. Like I don't know, there's a, there's like banter, and it's kind of fun, it's kind of fun to read, just like kind of getting a sense of like Russian sense of humor, I guess, from that perspective. But yeah, I guess uh, for me, um, he presents himself in this. I, I watched it actually. Uh, I decided to watch it. Um, he presents he presents us very professorial, very uh, a statesman that, in uh, he, he's definitely very persuasive in terms of um, being inclusive, and, and he actually talks about um, a world, a new world order, where um, every nation can do their own thing in, in a way, you know. So it's it's not so much like uh, he's not judging, you know, like you basically each country will do their own thing culturally you know because he does make reference to this cancel culture this domination of values 
of the West, you know, um, which I think anybody in the global South uh, will uh, understand, you know, like how these condescending dictations, you know, of culture and also economic um, ideologies. Um, um, and so on one hand, he, he, I think he, he wants to portray that, you know, in intellectual prowess that he has, um, because he does know history, you know, <laughs> he knows a lot of Russian history. He, he makes it known, you know, when he talks about Ukraine, when he talks about, um, you know, makes reference to Lenin, you know, makes reference. He also demonstrates uh, prowess in, um, you know, economics, you know, he, he, he's calling, for example, at one point that basically the West is having issues. <laughs> he straight up says it. The West is having issues uh, and that a new order should be coming in. And not only should it's coming in, it's coming, but it's doable. He, he for example, when he talks about economics, he makes reference to Bretton Woods, where the dollar was, you know, the currency that everyone else pegged to. Um, so you know, I, I think his his intent is for me uh, is that he's trying to uh, rally the troops um, for for a new project, um, and uh, because he doesn't even engaged so much on I think on the military and it's about religion, politics, history, economics. And yes, they do talk about nuclear um uh weapons, but it, it is he con contextualizes that as to why, you know, and then he deflects into oh the US is the only country that's ever used nuclear weapons. And I think that at first he doesn't try to directly mention the US. You know, he, he uses the West because he is talking about Europe and the United States. But um, in very few instances, he directly goes, you know, and, and talks about the U.S. as, you know, the, the real hegemon that's in trouble. And, and the last thought that I have is that in some moments, I feel like he was talking to conservative, <laughs> like the conservative, you know, uh, I guess, ideology. Um, and, and even in the, in the Q&A, um, Someone spe specifically said that Russia is a uh, beacon of conservative values in the world, um, and so it's. Uh, I, I think it's very interesting because th that cancel culture, uh, you know, I, 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 it's very. I, I think that that concept is very American. You know, it, 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 that's not for Guatemala. That's not for Latin America. That's for America. You know, when you, when you're referencing to cancel culture. That's a, like a, and so, you know, uh, so yes, he's talking to people of the global south and, and the other, you know, potential allies and the people, the Russian leaders, but I, I think he's also sending a message to to the United States as to, you know, what side he's on, you know, and, and by, by also calling out how the liberal, you know, liberal order, which is complicated because there's American liberal, <laughs> you know, ideology, but there's also the neoliberalism, you know, the economic ideology. And I think they get mixed up a little bit in the U.S. versus, you know, internationally, um, because we have this dichotomy of conservatives versus liberals, but it, it, it's messy. Um, but I do think he's speaking to conservatives at some moments uh, of that uh, conversation and speech.
Yeah. I mean, this has already been helpful from, cause one of the questions been helpful for me, cause one, one of the questions or two of the questions I wrote down is one, who is he speaking to? And two, why the challenge organized around cancel culture and wokeness? Like I wasn't clear to me, but honestly, I think I have an idea just listening to you all. I feel like I have my first idea. Uh, I first want to say this uh, with the question you asked Jessica about this group of people brought to this. I think that this entire thing was very crafted. Like even the questions that the, the announcer first asked, the first question he asks him that the, that the interviewer asks him is about, are you on the, do you consider yourself on the top or on the bottom? Like, where are you from? And, and Putin says, clearly, I'm from the bottom. top. <laughs> I'm from the bottom. And I, and I thought about that one little throwaway line he put in there. Cause he, he cites soldiers and it's all these philosophers. And he goes, my handlers wrote this for me, which I believe is true. Why is he saying that? He's trying to be like, I, this is above me. You know, I'm just, they're helping me. I, I oh, with the, are you talking about the quotes when he's yeah, like, I'm thankful to my researchers? I'm thankful finding- to my researchers. Like, a hum, I'm, a, I'm just a humble worker. You know, my researchers gave me these quotes. And I believe that that's the case. But so, and I, I just feel, and I'm sure I can't prove it, but I'm sure everyone who was invited to that is vetted. And they've already been vetted. They don't have to even check your, I mean, I think it is a Davos kind of kind of club, you know. Um, so this thing was scripted. So, and if they were having a real conversation about what is going on in the world, they're not going to put it on a video like this. They're going to put it behind closed doors and have a real conversation about what they're doing. This, this was for somebody's consumption. I'm trying to think about who it is. And I think that question of that, are they appealing to conservatives or almost leftists? And I think they were, he was attempting to appeal to classic conservatives, Christians and Muslims, and simultaneously appeal to the left and the classic left and liberal progressives who can't stand the United States. And he was attempting to politically isolate the U.S. around identity politics and and wokeness. It was like, I'm going to call you folks that. That's what you are. No one likes you. And that's what you are. So I feel like he's attempting to politically isolate the United States. Then I have to ask myself, well, who is he speaking to? I think he sees himself as he sees, he understands that the U.S. is hated around the globe by the elites around the globe, that all of them, so he's not speaking to common people. He is speaking to the colonizers of the United States or those who are afraid of being colonized and saying, if you want freedom from them, China and us welcome you into our Belt and Road Initiative, into our Singapore Cooperation Organization, into our, you know, Russia doesn't doesn't ever like mail mail anybody, We're, we're not trying to control anyone. And in a sense, at this point, with re- relationship to some of those countries, he could maybe make a case. And certainly their experience is going to be like, U.S. has got the boot on them compared to Russia. Now, I think Eduardo used a very important term, hypocrisy. When, they, when he puts himself forward as the preserver of Muslim religion and Islam, after he, he, he and his country bought full, like, full, went full on in the war on terror, they they went after Chechnya hard and essentially destroyed Chechnya, colonized Chechnya, and now Chechnya is 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 fighting for them. Like, and they did it on the basis of attacking Muslim terrorists and Muslim extremists. So there there is these people were totally anti-Islam warriors at the same time that the US was anti-Islam warriors. But now he's saying, look, you know, it's all good. I, now I'm your friends, you know? Um, so it is complete hypocrisy. 
uh, of the same site sort that Biden or Trump or any U.S. ruler. So I, there's no difference in the level of hypocrisy, in, in my opinion, between Putin saying it and Biden or Trump saying it, you know, in terms of as representatives of the ruling class. I will say Biden, I don't think Biden or Trump, like he didn't only speak about Russian history at depth. He talked about the Bretton Woods Agreement. He talked about, he has a pretty good understanding. Now, maybe again, since those questions, I really feel like he knew them all. So he had his answers ready, but for sure, Biden couldn't do a four hour Q&A. I mean, even if he knew every question, and I don't think Trump would be the right guy for that either. So he does have an immense command, you know, and he's able to speak. But so that's just that, you know. Um, so I think who what he's who he's speaking to is he's attempting to essentially using revolutionary like talk, attempting to galvanize the all the global elites under who will follow him, who hate the United States and say, come join us, China, BRICS. And even appealing to the to Eurasians, say, you know, you hate those U.S. motherfuckers. Come with us. You know, they're they're just fucking you over. And he even mentions, almost kind of jokingly, somehow the Eurasian pipeline got destroyed. Who knows how that happened? You know, and as saying like, you guys just are being punked by the United States. Um, I don't think that is going to work. But I feel like he's putting that out there, and it again reminds me of the statement that the joint statement that Russia and China put out, trying to say. Look, the U.S. has been ruling, but they're old. They've just—they've lost their minds. They're going the way of fascism. We're the—we're the rulers who will, um, you know, come join us. We will be the fair rulers of this new globe. And then he comes out, always says, "We're not trying to make a new. We're not trying to be the new hegemon. We're just—we're trying to eliminate all hegemons. We're against—we're like the Spartacus, you know. <laughs> we're for liberating all the slaves." <laughs> so it was—it was just interesting to, to see what what he was doing. It- it's it's very interesting that you know, like I tend to think that the glo- the most of the world is more on the conservative side in terms of values, family, and and, and you know social change, you know ideas of identity and all this stuff. Uh, most of the global elite are on the conservative side. At least that's uh, you know what's in my mind, especially in the global south, Africa, Latin America, you know parts of Asia. Um, and so it's very interesting because, um, you know, yes, you know, this, idea, this notion that um, there is this opportunity for, liber- you know, to free yourself. We don't, you know, he's, like you said, explicitly says we don't want a, a bipolar world. We don't want a tripolar world. We want a multipolar world. That's what he, he, he uses as, a, you know, to say that, you know, that Russia is not in it, you know, to dominate. Um, and so, yeah, again, that, that just confirms to me that he's speaking to those elites, like you said, of the world, especially when he's talking about, he makes sure, they make sure in that arrangement, because I do agree with you that he's very choreographed, um, that they talk about market values. You know, they also distance themselves from the communists, you know, although we will talk to them, but, you know, the, the communists, we, you know, and, and then he leaves open this idea of state control of industries. Um, you know, and, and but he's like, no, you know, I think the the market has adjusted because when he talks about um, these sanctions on Russia, you know, and he celebrates that Russia has survived, he again brings it back to market values, you know, and the resilience of the maturity, he says, quote unquote, of, of the industry, uh, I guess, business-minded people of Russia. 
um, you know, while he's taunting, saying, you know, we're we're good, we're actually better. Um, he 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 again is just making the point, and I think talking to those people who ruled the world in in their respective countries, you know, market values, you know, will survive, but it has to be in a different system. And and I think that's very bold, you know, like the whole reorganization of the financial system. Um, it, it, it's, I, I, for me, that was a massive um, statement, you know, to, to make because uh, for, I think for most people, you know, I don't think we, we know the world without the dollar, you know, as being the hegemon, but, but also that just remind ourselves that that wasn't perpetual. You know, that's, that's not how the world has worked. You know, this is maybe the last 60 years, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and there is crisis coming. You know, we've we've talked about it. He's right, and so there will be an opportunity to move into things like you know, using every country's currency. He talks about. I don't know how he doesn't go into much into detail, but it, it, it's very interesting because he's challenging the you know the failures that are happening the, 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 in the system um, governed by the West. But he doesn't just he 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 goes beyond what most like honestly like Hugo Chavez, where he comes to the UN and he will bash the U the US. I think he he's given opening the door for a different road, not just like bashing. Um, and I'm not saying that that road is you know good or for everyone, but I think this is an attempt to um, move something forward in a concerted effort, or at least try to get some people on board of that project. Did you guys get to the part, it's pretty late in the Q&A, where he, he says, like, the message that he would send to the West or whatever? I didn't get that. Let me find it. Just in thinking about, like, the question of who he's talking to and, like, who even listens to this, right? Um, okay. And I think he's prompted by, yeah, like a clearly choreographed question of like, what's your what's your message to ordinary citizens of Western countries? Um, okay, so he says, um, as for a message, uh, both the U.S. and Europe, I want to say the most important thing: fight for wage increases. This is the first thing. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> uh, second, do not believe that Russia is your enemy or even adversary. Russia is your friend, and we have been doing everything for decades and are ready to do everything in the future in order to strengthen our relations. Um, in this regard, an anecdote that I recently told my colleagues came to mind. A friend from Germany told me recently, family, son asks dad, dad, why is it so cold? And he says, because Russia attacked Ukraine. The child asks, what do we have to do with it? And we impose sanctions against the Russians. Why? To make them feel bad. And we, what Russians? And he goes on for a little bit. Um, but basically, like, yeah. or He says, ordinary citizens should know. I will end where I started. Russia is not an enemy and has never had any malicious intentions toward European states and the United States. So it is like on Kenny's last point, like trying to project this image of like the peacemaker, like strong statesman, but also like 
diplomat. Um, even even after he's gone through, like, every reporter is like, oh, I'm from India. And then he's like, well, India has a great history. And here's all the wonderful things about that. And then he goes through, like, Armenia. And then he goes through Saudi Arabia. And, uh, like, literally, like, one by one, right? And, I mean, his knowledge or the knowledge of whoever wrote, you know, his stuff is is no doubt, like, impressive, especially when you compare it to our pitiful. <laughs> well, I mean, Jesus, like, what was that, Kamala Harris? Like. Russia's a big country. They invaded a small country. Man. Um, um, well, I think I think the thing you just that I didn't get to that quote, so I'm really glad you bring that up because. So I think what he's attempting to do there is like what. So he he brings up the color revolutions um, as the U.S. intervention into meddling in people's countries, and I think when he says fight for wage equality to to Western workers. He's like, take down your own government. That's really what he's saying. You know, I'm I'm inviting you to challenge your own capitalist ruling class. I welcome, and I'll and I'll you know I'm gonna be the first person to tell you to do that. And I because I do think he knows, and he's part of it. He's part of this. He knows wealth inequality is is growing. They 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 speak of it as like, oh my God, wealth inequality. And yes, it's growing in the West, but it's also growing in Russia. And they know it. And they know it's growing everywhere. It's Africa and in, in Latin America and Central America, every and Saudi Arabia and in the Middle East. And so, in a sense, what I think he's saying to rulers in Africa and Latin America is like, I think I have some language for you that can help you quell some of the storm in your country and get behind us because we're the revolutionary chain chain. So if somebody wants change in your country, you can you can join our gang because that's going to help you kind of make people feel like hey we're fighting for equality now don't don't take me down i'm with putin i'm with i'm with g i'm with china i'm with the i'm with the democracy multipolar team you know like the the one that's that's for not hegemonic and like you know so so our way or or the highway kind of thing so i do think he's attempting to say i think i have because that's why he's speaking he's speaking both left and right simultaneously like whichever whichever one whichever part of the playbook you want to use we can give you a, a script to help you stay in power as long as you're with us but i do think in the context of knowing and all of these places are afraid of tumult but i think he knows tumult is coming so he's doing to the united states what the united states does to china by trying to mess with hong kong how do we how do we push unrest in that country um, and that, I think it's a long way off, but I think that's, that's to me that the script he's playing right now. I was going to say his relationship, like with the gas pipes to Europe. Um, I was, he was, he, he mentioned it and said it was a great loss. And in his, when the person asked him about, well, what was the reason behind this military operation? He gave his reasons as to why um, he went there. And I do think that there is like, there not any respect at all for like what the, like here the, the dominant narrative is how much he is invading the Ukra Ukraine, but uh, he does. And he has said, he's already repeated many times what NATO was also invading Europe. And this is the part where he is, he is not wrong, right? Like it was, it's slowly creeping up from like the West over down to, to, to the Eastern European countries. 
and he sees it as a threat. So he's flipping it onto, for us, it, like this is what we have to see. Uh, I, um, I'm looking for it where I saw it. Here it is. Okay, so here is, uh, I'm, pardon me if I'm not like saying these Russian names correct. Like Lukyanov Luke, Luke says, uh, your decision to launch a special military operation in February was, of course, a big surprise for everyone, including the majority of Russian citizens. That was, and you have repeatedly explained the logic and reasons we know, but still these are decisions such in magnitude that probably are not made without some special push. What happened before this decision? And here's where he says clearly what happened. He says, I have already said it many times. I am unlikely to say anything new in this and in this audience now after what happened. He said, it's a, he's talked about the expansion of NATO at the, ex, at the expense of Ukraine. And this was unacceptable. He said there were security interests and there was also a desire to make sure that their borders were, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing, I'm not reading exactly what he said, just so I can go a little quicker here, but he's saying there was a, there was a border interest making sure that they were, they were safe and that the Western, that, that, the sec that the Western curators, as he's saying, represent, um, uh, have keep implementing, he refused to implement the Minsk, in the Minsk agreements, which the Minsk agreements were the series of international agreements um, sought to the end of the Donbass war. And they included things like seizing fire withdrawal, heavy weapons from frontline and release of prisoners of war, constitutional reform and such. And this was not implemented and still the USA meddled in, in it. I didn't even think of it this way, but he's saying meddled into 2014 with the coup. Like there was a lot of meddling when we when the USA discusses Russian meddling in the elections. And there's no respect or no acknowledgement of how much meddling there is in, in the USA's uh, uh, infringement or or, or, in, or or intervening or uh, infiltration in the elections of other people's countries. And so he talks about this and the hypocrisy for that. So I think we've already said this in previous episodes about this, but in his speech and his Q&A, he is bringing and highlighting that for a reason. It's to really like to push back against the mainstream narrative and to just reemphasize that there's so much that is already being said that drowns out um, any other different point of view. And I was, I'm happy, well, I don't know if happy is the word. Um, I'm, uh, there is a desire to discuss and um, like against anti-war discussions now on KTFA and democracy now that have people have been pushing back thanks to folks that are just regular listeners. So like this, these are supposed to be channels of like anti-war, uh, um, uh, media news sources, and here people from the very beginning were supporting the Ukraine, uh, the war uh, in in Ukraine, and so I've been hearing this slightly change and people calling in to push back and to call out the people who are uh, uh, hosting those shows like Upfront, Democracy Now, uh, Letters and Politics, uh, Against the Grain. These are sort of the 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 news stations that are on Cape or the the programs on KPFA, and 
we used to be, or at least I thought of the left, like an anti-war movement. And here you see the majority of liberals supporting these wars and no acknowledgement of like how much NATO has been very militant in trying to catch them all, right? Like all these countries in Finland and, and even now uh, countries that were neutral are now considering to be a part of NATO. So I, um, I guess this is just for, for me, it's just really important that we continue thinking about this because it's hard to discuss that when I think most of the time that I bring this up on either online or anything, someone will say, well, what about the Ukrainians? Well, maybe we should have thought about this from the very beginning because Putin said that uh, he had discussed comp that uh, the expense, uh, there, was, there were attempts to discuss the border security and to discuss uh, the security measures last year. Another attempt was done at the end of last year. Once again, it failed and these were simply sent away, he says. They said, okay, sit there. And okay, I won't say too much, but in general, they ignored it. This is the first. So these were like things that were being discussed. And now there's coming to light that there was, I think, early summer, late spring discussions of negotiations, but the USA was not interested in that. I, I think someone brought it up with um, Chomsky and this other uh, writer intellectual on democracy now about how those were the discussions that were being had but the USA was not for it. And so now we're in the full, right? And here we are realizing that these negotiations could have actually ended the war already. But here we are still months after February, still in this Ukrainian-Russian war. I'll look up the name who was the discussion with Chomsky. Oh, yeah. go ahead, Ken. So like on that point, um... You know, let's not forget he's a fucking K KGB, you know, uh, agent or, or former or whatever. He was he rose up in the KGB, right? And um, so was, it, like an intelligence, yeah, agent basically. Uh, mm -hmm. So you know, one of the things that the CIA, the Central Intelligence, the Central Intelligence Intelligence Agency of the United States does is to disinform. You know, uh, I saw this. There's this video on Jimmy Dore recently. Of uh, some agent in the '80s who, come, you know, was talking about how they disinform uh, the the American public and by using partial truths, you know. And, and I think this is a, a perfect example of that. You know, like yeah, of course he's citing a lot of things that, especially people who are critical of, you know, the mainstream narrative, um, you know, uh, are parroting, repeating, uh, in. It's true, you know, all this, the, the, the agreements, you know, were not respected, the, um, you know. NATO keep, NATO keep going protein, you know. And so for me, it's like, it, he doesn't fool me either, you know, like in the sense of those negotiations were never going to happen, <laughs> you know, you know, yes, you put it on the table, but that, that shit was never going to happen, you know, like I, he and you know NATO has played their hand from a while back. You know this is just you know the materialization of the many moves that have happened. You know Russia is now having to respond. That's why Ukraine. The one thing I know for sure is that Ukrainians have zero to no control of their destiny. That that's the one sure thing. You know, and Putin is not a liberator, right? Like he attempts to 
to fucking talk about the historical duties of the peoples. Fuck, fuck with, fuck with that shit, dude. Like, you know, uh, you know, like as if shit doesn't change all the time. You know, th- this is not about, you know, obviously uh, uniting um, the world for the better. This is not about, um, you know, saving Ukrainians and, you know, like to unite former Russians or, you know, historical Russians. Um, this is thugs fighting each other, you know, and you see, you know, people as as uh, uh, cannon fodder, you know, that's one term that's been used a lot. But um, so, yes, of course, he appeals to us, you know, because of, you know, we are critical. But, you know, like you stated earlier, Eduardo, he's no less hypocritical. Um, you know, this idea of negotiations is long gone, you know, like right now we just want to see how this shit is going to play out, you know, and, and it's not about diplomacy, it's not about economic cooperation. And this is where, right, I, I disagree with some people with this new, uh, like, world order mentality, because this is how shit, you know, escalates, you know, moves have to be made. Um, and, you know, everyone's looking for their own self-interest. Uh, Russia's looking for their own self-interest. They do need people. They do need more people, you know, to come around and, like, dismantle, weaken the hand of the U.S. And, and the U.S., I do think, is weak in, in some ways. You know, the, the maybe he senses an opportunity, I think, overall. I, I think that's what I gather from his, this speech. Uh, of course, he's, you know... Uh, spilling a lot of rhetoric of un- unity and p- opportunity. Um, and, but he knows that in order to create something anew, even if it's China and Russia or just China, um, they will need other pieces, you know, other cannon fodder, fodder you know, other Ukraines in, in, in the midst. And in, in, in reality, I, I, there is no way you can create a multipolar world there is no way, you know, this shit ends in mutual, you know, assured destruction, you know, or the total victory of one or the other, which is still destruction for many. And so this, again, this notion of negotiations that the U.S. didn't want to, they're all f- trying to fucking fool us. Just, Jessica, did you want to go or, or Eduardo, go ahead. I can just go quick briefly. Um, yeah, I mean, just on like the liberation, like he he go even in the heavily controlled speech, right? Like he goes from saying like, oh, like we're just doing this to save the people of the Donbass, like that's the that's primary, like that's our primary objective, and like I mean, yeah, like I follow journalists on the ground, like they were getting fucking shilled for you know eight years. Um, so I'm not saying that like the referendum and stuff recently is like nothing but when putin says yeah like the people of luhansk have been completely liberated or something like that like definitively um it's just ridiculous and then two seconds later um you know they ask him kind of about like what he's learned and he says um we have costs and above all, it concerns the losses associated with the conduct of a spe- special military operation, which to me, I mean, I just kind of read that as like a somewhat euphemistic way of saying like, well, war kills people, duh. Um, 
He says, I think about it all the time. There are also economic losses, but there are huge acquisitions. And what is happening without any doubt in the long run, I want to emphasize this, is ultimately for the benefit of Russia and its future, by which he means Russia's elite, <laughs> like ruling class. What is it connected with? This is due to the strengthening of our sovereignty and in all areas, and in this case, primarily in the economic sphere. So, I mean, like tells you right, like outright, you know, that it's not... It's not some like selfless, you know, ride into battle for the good of the poor or the good of the oppressed. It's it's the opposite. It's totally self-serving. Yeah, I, I'm glad that's exactly the that part I did read because um, that's earlier in the in the interview. Um, I'm glad you bring that one up because I think that is the thing that like what Russia is doing. So. U.S. is attempting to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian, and Russia is attempting to fight the United States to the last person in the Donbass. You know, like they are both these, neither of these areas are independent. Zelensky's not independent, but there's nothing independent about the referendum, in my opinion, about the referendum or the political situation for Russians or Ukrainians, whatever you, the people who are in that eastern section of Ukraine are under the Russian boot in the same way that Ukraine. Western Ukraine is under U.S. boot. And these are two imperial operations fighting each other. Um, and that's that's what really is happening. And, and that and is- And bragging about the hypersonic weapons too, like not long after that. Like, you guys can try to catch up. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, peacemaker, okay. Yeah, no, it's-, it's And it's, it's the thing that is so bad for the left- and and even the new NWO people to get caught up in Putin and think like to even give for a moment that he's liberating or to give them a moment that somehow Putin is playing any liberatory role. One, number one, it's it's wrong because it's not. And two, it it implies for us, those of us who who are going to if we're going to have a quote multipolar world, which I think what he's trying to paint is a world of of humanity, a world of real liberty, it can't happen without a revolution. But it ain't going to happen with Putin and Xi leading that revolution. And that's what the language they're trying to say. We will lead you to the promised land. That There's no way it happens that way. It will require the self-activity. It's the kind of, me like, uh, Kenny, uh, Kenny, you weren't there, but it's the sort of stuff we were talking about in the Workers and Students for Choice meeting of, of people just doing very basic things with each other and that growing to some alternative and then that alternative having to fight for itself to displace the old alternative, you know, and, um, and that, that is the project of revolution and people who become Putin watchers, if the left becomes a Putin watcher and says, what is he doing? Somehow he needs to do something. I really feel like the left is giving up on the responsibility of fighting for revolution of, of not just fighting for it, of, of, of the action of making of making the world, we have to make the world that we're that we want to that we want to live in, and thinking that somehow Putin's going to get us there. Because in the same way that I would say a, a revolutionary in the United States would want to turn U.S. imperial war into civil war at home, that's true for people who are, call themselves revolutionaries in Russia. I believe their role would be to turn Russian. They would oppose. Russian aggression, they would oppose the special military operation, and they would be attempting to turn Russian imperial war into civil war at home to bring down the Russian oligarchy and to create a new order 
out of a working class revolution. And that is the responsibility. So no one can get themselves under the delusion that watching any one of these characters at the top is going to get you anything other than becoming a spectator in a tennis match rather than an actor in changing the world. I think that at one point, uh, I don't know if it's in the Q&A, but, you know, Putin talks about, so again, for first of all, this conversation was not for common people, right? The people that need to lead a, you know, rise up and lead a revolution. This is for the elite, that, you know, of, of countries. Um, and so he talks about reform or reorganization, you know, of the world. You know, he's not talking about revolution. Absolutely not. You know, that's why, again, he talks about, um, you know, that, again, they distance themselves from any sort of Leninist, communist thing. Um, and, and um, yeah, 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 that's just my point. Like, just to make it clear, this is for the elite of, that they want to appeal in order to fight or reorganize the world. Um, because uh, I, I do think there's an opportunity uh, coming. And just one last thing. I was struck by how little he mentions China. I mean, he speaks of the U.S. and Taiwan. He speaks of the Belt and Road Initiative. And as a liberatory, hey, the Belt and Road Initiative is just bringing money and cooperation and infrastructure in. It's not like the Belt and Road Initiative was recently used to, for China to buy up property in Uganda when they couldn't pay back their loans. You ever heard of that before? Like, you know, China's doing exactly, and that's what the U.S. is complaining about. It's like the U.S. is like, those damn Chinese are doing exactly what we did with the IMF. It's wrong. Don't fall for it. Stay in our in our racket, you know. Um, but I, it's almost like, I mean... I personally think Russia would not be in this. The reason that he can speak with this confidence is because he knows this this current conflict and the U.S. position, what U.S. has done in Taiwan and what US, NATO has done in, and U.S. NATO has done in Ukraine has really welded China and Russia together and has made it that they they both can't live without each other. Um, and ch in, in the end, and this gets to us to our conversation we'll have next week. I think he understands. He's like. The little guy next to the next to the big brother, China, going like, "We'll take you, well, you know, I'll take you all on. I'll fight any one of you." But he's got this really big guy right behind him. That's really part of the fight. Because personally, I think they, if China wasn't underwriting this, I don't think they would be speaking with this kind of confidence. Um, I will say though, it's interesting to what extent he speaks of the Western order under the U.S. as already done, as already gone. Like he's trying to almost speak of it as as moved from the from the pages of history. I don't know if he really believes that, but I certainly know that he's trying to say that to others to say, look, get with the winning team. And, and I, I think that's on purpose that they, because I do get the sense that he avoids talking about the U.S. too much. He talks about the West, right? He, mm -hmm. they barely talked about China. So they're appealing to, look, us here, the, the medium-sized, medium, medium people, we can, you know, like... Like, let's not get in, involved with them, but never mind that. I, I think Russia Russia cannot compete economically with China. Never, never, zero. You know, the, the only strength that Russia, possibility is their military, you know, in you know, nuclear weapons and whatever. Um, but I don't, I think that 
yeah, their 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 destiny is entangled with with China. You know, they will need China in order to survive this new world. And I think in some way they're conceding that China will be, you know, that's that that's their bet. That's where their bet is, you know. And they're just, uh, you know, basically I think trying to bet to be Europe, you know, versus like in in terms of like the U.S. to Europe, Russia to China, and you know, and 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 receive some of the fallout of the China being the, the winner of the battle. But I, I, and so they're recruiting people. <laughs> this is a recruiting, uh, you know, exercise, this conversation, you know, in order to see who's going to come on this side, because I do think there is a fight coming, <laughs> you know, like the re- Ukraine is just the beginning of something. And, and the U.S. understands this. This is not a mistake. You know, they, they, I, 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 I believe that, again, they're going after Russia because, again, Russia is the muscle at the moment. Um, and they're trying to weaken Russia's position. Uh, you know, that's where Finland and that whole situation, you know, they're trying to corner Russia into really thinking about, um, but Russia also like, you know, the, their destiny is with China and they cannot back down at this point, you know, and, and that's why, it, like how you uh, brought it up, Jessica, the whole, uh, ballist, what is it? Uh, the supersonic? Hypersonic. Hypersonic uh, missiles were brought up. Brought up. Because you know what, like if it doesn't work, well, we we still have fucking muscles, you know, and we have the muscle to challenge this old order because you know there's uh, a new order again, um, and yeah. Well, I I, um, I wanted to give name to the person I had uh, mentioned earlier about BJ Prashad was the one who had discussed with me in terms, yeah. Uh, so um, there was um, something that he touched on as well that I really appreciated him talking about, which was about nuclear uh, weapons. Like this is something for me that's always been uh, like on my mind since watching like Jehovah's Witness videos of like nuclear blasts and what could happen and, and to the world and how this would be coming Armageddon and then soon we'll have a new kingdom of order, right? Like this is, so I guess that's something I always have in my mind. But uh, he talks about in one of the Q&A, like they ask him directly, uh, where is it? They ask him directly about what do you make of this, like the West, as you say, Kenny, he's not really referring to you, but like the West, uh, which mainly is uh, UK and the USA, uh, discussion about nuclear Armageddon. And their comments, they say that it's it's a, it's mostly you that you're the one who are making these threats, and and it's uh, and so he addresses it, and he, I do think he touches on something very important that is it's always blaming there's always blaming on Russia about this nuclear threat, but he clearly stated that Liz Truss, who was the former prime minister, now she's not, but the Liz Truss. There was no mention in the media about how she directly said in conversation to the press that, yes, quote, Great Britain is a nuclear power and it's the prime minister's responsibility to make use of it and I will do so. Like, this is what people have said that Russians are saying. And it's all, did you hear that? Did you not see what they're saying? They're making nuclear threats, alluding to some side comments of what they'll say, like we have an interest to protect our sovereignty. 
and oh, they're made that, that immediately referring referring to uh, nuclear their nuclear arms. They're, that's a nuclear threat. No one, as 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 Putin is saying here, no one is mentioning how Liz Truss, which is the prime minister of one of the most like a very big nation uh, of Britain, said, "I'm ready for this." And she did say that. It's, she said, "I'm ready for this." Basically. Uh, we will use it if it's necessary. And no one reacted to this. And he says it. You see, no one reacted. This is a quote from him. No one reacted in any way. Suppose she blurs it out there. Uh, anything. How can you say such things in public? Said. If they had corrected it, Washington would have publicly said, we have nothing to do with this. We don't know. And it was not necessary to offend, but simply to disassociate. After all, everyone is silent. What should we think? We thought that this was an agreed position. We were being blackmailed. This is what Putin is saying. And what? We should be completely silent to pretend that we did not hear anything or what? And so he's, he says about like, he goes into this, this long answer and he says that, uh, here we are. As for Russia, we have a military doctrine. And he says, the corresponding article of this military doctrine states in what cases, on what occasion, in connection with what, and in what way Russia considers it possible to use weapons of mass destruction in the form of nuclear weapons to protect its sovereignty, territorial integrity, and to assure the security of the Russian people. As long as these things are not being threatened, then we have no reason to use it. He's assuring everyone. Of course, I'm, I still get afraid with any country talking about nuclear weapons. I mean, those things just Russian or US Americans or, or British folk, like just, or the or the, or the EU, like that anybody talking about that is really frightening. But he brings out the point that the USA is trying to get corralling everybody, pressuring everybody, even neutral countries like my country in Mexico, where it's basically neutral on the Ukrainian conflict. Uh, but pressuring other countries to be on board about this. And that is what the real nuclear threat or discussion we should be having about. It's the USA, is trying, the USA trying to bring everyone on board to have this armed conflict <clears throat> with Russia. And so um, he made a, 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 a mention of that. And expanding further, hold on. I, um, I looked it up as, as, um, as uh, it's here where I was glad. I really do think it's the pressure of the audience that have always been uh, anti-war um, on Democracy Now! with Vijay Prashad and Chomsky that they're finally mentioning this issue of humanitarian intervention, like the Ukrainians, the Haitians, like people, the Libyans, uh, the Afghans, and right now people are discussing with Iran. There's always a desire to discuss how can we intervene for democracy and this humanitarian in, in, intervention? And Juan Gonzalez on Democracy Now! says to Vijay Prashad, what do you make of this? Especially since there's a, a, almost everyone, AOC uh, and all the, uh, the squad, they're all, they're all giving money to this. Uh, let's see, it says here, but <clears throat> I wanted to ask you about, he says to Nam Chomsky and Vijay Prashad, I wanted to ask you about peace movements or the absence of peace movements during the Vietnam War, during the Iraq War. There were vibrant peace movements in the United States. But now during this war in Ukraine, even the most left-wing representatives in Congress and Senate, whether it's Bernie Sanders, I'm glad he said it, AOC and others have basically gone along with continuing to finance and pursue the support of this war in Ukraine. Your sense in the absence of peace movements right now in the USA. And then Chomsky goes on to this very um, 
people then rant about like how there was uh the it was two years before there was a peaceful peaceful in the vietnam war and stuff but i'm glad juan gonzalez brought this up and they do they like they they do talk about the 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 threat of, of the u.s nato military system they do talk about uh the nuclear threat by the usa and anyone vilified as being a putin supporter if you come out or a commie rat if you come out against the ukrainian conflict so all of these things as i'm as it's like flipping again this this we're changing this narrative of how it's normally being discussed here in the usa yeah how it's normally discussed in the usa uh around nuclear threats and the conflict called invasion here uh um that i think that are that were important points that were highlighted in the q a I don't know if anyone wants to make a comment to those things. I, I do. Um, like, again, I don't think, by and large, I don't think Putin is talking to American public. Uh, you know, like, I, I don't think most people, like, the propaganda here is so massive. You know, both people on the right and on the left, you know, like, there is very little, like, I think, understanding of the complexity, especially... And like, I might sound arrogant, especially with the limited understanding of geography and history that we have here, how, how mis, you know, completely misinformed people are. Not, not just from the news, but from the moment you go to school, you're indoctrinated into certain ways of seeing the world. So, you know, like when he's, uh, he's talking about these threats, I think he's, again, is a, he's a, this is a recruitment tool for the people, he, you know, the elite of those other countries, you know, that are going to have to choose a side. Um, because by and large, I think the narrative here is going to take its turn. You know, I think there's a little more chance of the narrative in other countries, because at least my experience living abroad, people have a different understanding because we are so drowned in propaganda here that it's, it's so hard to understand. And like, and this whole notion of, you know, um, you know, social movements and pressure on the government. I'm sorry, like that's that's not how you change the world, you know, with like protests, like for fucking like support of Palestine or support of this or that, like, you know, it's a direct fight for your own shit, you know, against your government because you know that, you know, that that's like, a, you have some shit at stake. Um, and never mind that, like, we are so disassociated with the cost of war because it's remote now, you know, and that was one of the reasons I think the Vietnam War was, you know, had some sort of movement because there was a cost, you know, for people here. But uh, but now we just push a button and we drown the fuck out of other people and who, you know, who cares? And, and you know, and what we're bickering about the fucking elections and all this stuff. So like, yes, Putin's bringing this up, but I just want to bring it back to the point that he's he he's performing to someone else. You know, yeah, he's appealing to the the conservative type, but for me, it's the conservative type of other countries. I, yeah, I didn't really I, buy the like, oh, like we're being blackmailed because Liz Truss, you know, says something stupid or aggressive. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, the West is a bully for sure, but I don't know. I didn't really take that um, at face value. <laughs> like to me, it sounds like. I mean, it sounds like a sort of intelligence like kgb style of like don't you guys know we're being blackmailed like you know and then 
yeah, as we've talked about two seconds later, he's talking about hypersonic weapons. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that, Jess, about um, Putin, you know, just using it as a way to, there's no sincerity, right? I don't, I agree. There's like, obviously this person's very disingenuous. Uh, I just guess I, what I'm, I guess what I'm in agreement with is just how much in the media there's discussion of how there's always the Russians alluding to nuclear threats, whereas there's no discussion of how the, there's the Western side of, as he's saying, or like the UK in this case with Liz Trust, there's no, no one's discussing how she was just giving a nuclear threat just in that moment in her discussion when she gave that press conference. And who knows how many other times someone, I didn't even know Liz Truss had said that unless I had read this Q&A. So how many times any other member or representative of the USA or the UK or the EU have mentioned or alluded to something like, if we have to, we're ready for this. And no one is calling that a nuclear threat, right? Like those are the things I, I think that really, like, again, this whole way that I'm reading this has allowed me to see from the eyes of someone else how the world is operating in the very similar manner that people are accusing Russia to be operating, right? Like there is this, 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 like, not, it's like pointing each other, but like, I, I think for me, I'll speak for myself, like most of it, I'm wrapped up as Kenny has said, like blanketed in like propaganda. And even if I'm listening to something that's alternative, so to speak, I'm not inclined, I don't want to, but my my eyes or my ears are focused on to like pointing to Russia because of how much I'm immersed. And so it's 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 good that we have discussed this because now I'm seeing how they're pointing fingers back at the West, so to speak, as all those countries. And um, but I do think it's all disingenuous, of course. It's simply just nuclear threats are everywhere, not just by Russia. Right. Yeah, I guess I would take it a step farther and say not only is Putin a liar, but so is Chomsky. Um, and so is Vijay oh. Prashad. And I, so I figured you were going to go there at some point. Yeah. Andy. I was waiting for it. Well, but because the, once I mentioned democracy now or something. Yes, I wanted true. to know. You know how to trigger, you, you know those I, trigger I was, words. I was like, thinking. I'm a Manchurian candidate. All you have to say is democracy now. And I, I just, be, my eyes haze over. Uh, that is true. Um, but go no, ahead, go ahead. I want to know what you what you because because in a sense, I disagree a little bit with what you're saying, Kenny. When you say um, Putin's not trying to appeal to to the left, to because he knows this 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 class of character that exists in Latin America, they're the same people who think of Maduro as a threat to the U.S. imperialism, and he's and he's not. He's just another capitalist puppet of a of a different order, um, or thinking of. That Daniel Ortega is a is a threat to U.S. imperialism or capitalism, if you will. Um, but they're not. They're they're players in that game. Um, so Prashad and Chomsky are all just essentially re regurgitating old left talking points that they knew way back when around Vietnam that humanitarian wars aren't that are just giant lies. These are nothing new. But the reason I know that they are that they are insincere and liars in in challenging the U.S. state's right to control people is because they already agreed with the whole vaccine sh bullshit. They already agreed with UBI. They don't even see that what Trump, what what um, that uh, when um, Putin is bringing up the uh, the automated electronic digital system that he's talking about a digital currency 
like that, that that's the thing that's coming up one way or another. There's an enslavement system that states putting in, in that, that they're not going to be part of fighting, uh, fighting against. So they want to keep it very narrowly in this area of kind of mainstream standard boil plate, left-wing talking points. And the same way that the union wants to talk about budget cuts um, in relationship to schools without talking about how schools are being reorganized around tech and around digital twinning and around, around, you know, the metaverse. Right. So it's, it's, it's old stuff. And it's, it's even, it's even like weak using the language that was way back when Chomsky was writing about Korea and Vietnam. And so I don't give it any credibility. I don't think he's resurrected himself. He's politically devolving into a child as opposed to growing into an adult. Um, and that's true with these other folks because they they blew it and they haven't been able to correct themselves. So they represent no challenge to the state. And so what they're really doing is they're 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 file they're kind of riding Putin's coattails. And Putin is saying, come on over here, come on board the Putin train, and we I'll 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 make you look good. And and Chomsky's saying, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do that. Having sucked up to the U.S. state, now he's going to suck up to the Russian state. Great, well done, Chomsky. So I I figured you were going in this direction. So I'm not sure how to formulate my question or how to like ask because I I'd like to know what Jess and Kenny think as well. Like for this, I guess I'm like I, I I'm in agreement with you that I feel. Democracy Now, KPFA, these are what were, to, to me, were considered alternative, very radical sources of information, right? And then the pandemic hit, and then I saw how much they were also binding. Like, it really opened my eyes, right? We had a discussion about, like, these media sources as well, as well in another episode. And then the people they bring in, and then Chomsky as well, and, and Prashad. Like, I, I do feel these people are not people I agree with anymore, like I used to buy into a lot of what they say. I now I'm look at I hear things now from a critical point of view when I hear them speak. When they speaking they are speaking about this though, they are being criticized by other people within the left. And I still think that even though I could be in disagreement with other positions they have taken, I could agree with them in this area. And I'm wondering why you're not being and sympathetic or at least allowing for this position to be stated as where we're in agreement here, but really we haven't really been allies in the recent last two years or three years because of your position on other matters. How is it that you aren't being as, um, how would I say, mm, like this, this area not in agreement with what I, but with like other people on the right who have um, said very horrible things um, about immigrants, racist things, but in certain areas we can be in agreement and we even work with them. Does that make sense? I don't know if my question, because again, I said like, I, I'm, yeah. I'm struggling with my question. And this is something that we've even explored in Workers and Students for Choice. When I am a very in agreement, just you were there. You remember I said that I'm working with people who were, a part of shutting down schools and I'm not ready to forgive, but I don't know if this is making sense. My mind is thinking that this is the same thing, but I'm in agreement with the positions we're taking currently. And 
I appreciate Jeff saying, I think Jeff will allow me to say his name here. Jeff, because he's a quite ardent listener. Jeff saying, I don't, I just, I forget how he said it, but he said something along the lines like, these people really were for people's jobs to be taken away. Like they really destroyed the working class. I don't know how you could work with them. Something along those lines, right? So I guess now that Chomsky's coming out and Prashad's coming out, and being vilified, being vilified, being called Putin sympathetic, Russian, uh, whatever, like commie rats or whatever. Uh, how is this that you're not able to work or be in agreement, at least along, 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 aligned with this uh, position that they're taking? I mean, my answer would be because we're not talking about like parents at the local school or like neighbors or whatever. We're talking about Noam Chomsky who fucking wrote manufacturing consent. like. The dude, like, <laughs> there's no excuse for his stance to me, like, the past few years. I mean, he literally said, like, I don't know. He didn't say we should be rounded up, but almost as good as. I mean, it was like. He did say people should be rounded up. He did say people should be kept from food. They should be kept from resources. Yeah. He talked about quarantine fucking camps almost. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it's like he's just lost all legitimacy. He's not for the people. So I agree with you. And in addition to that, you know, um, you know, this is not separate from that project that he supported. You know, this is part of the same project. This is not separate from his ass asking you to vote for the lesser of two evils. Yeah. Right. So I don't give a shit if it's right or left. What I will work with is with people that are willing, that understand that this shit has to be taken down and rebuilt. And then we have to figure out together how we're going to rebuild it. And so Chomsky, Prashad, uh, I, I don't know where he's at. I, I absolutely know he swallowed the whole entire narrative of, of the vaccines. He never questioned it, not a little bit. I lost a lot of respect for him for that too. Uh, he's committed to that project in that sense because, you know, he he he's not seeing what's happening. You know, he's not seeing how he's leading people through his persuasion, through his you know, um, um, I guess uh, authority in a way. You know, because people do listen to this and leading them into the hands of that project that we've been talking so much about in this show. I mostly would say that. I mean, the only thing I can say is I have more trust in a person who has uh, maybe anti-immigrant positions, anti-abortion positions, who I will meet in a coalition, but who wants to challenge, I believe, who wants to challenge the state. I am more convinced of their independence and their ability to, for, to us to have an honest conversation about challenging that state than Chomsky. Chomsky, to me, is fully bought-in player meant to protect and preserve the existing state. But he, I mean, and all he's right now doing is kind of refurbishing poorly his somewhat left credentials that were completely destroyed by the position he just took in the last two years. So he's he's trying to polish this completely tarnished thing. So he, he is bankrupt. And unless he makes that, unless he says something, if he comes and says, I fucked up, dude, I fucked up and I'm going to, 
then I'm prepared to maybe hear him again. But I will trust a bunch of right wingers who I meet at a coalition meeting who say, we want to take this down. I want to take this down, but I want to, I don't want to fight capitalism. Okay. Let's talk. Yeah. We can have a talk because you're independent and you're open and you're not a liar, but Chomsky's a liar. And at this point, I would add that he is more, way more damaging, has caused way more damage to the prospects of changing this world than, than, than Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez combined. And Obama, throwing Obama in there. I was looking for where, if, if as, as I was hearing you, I was looking for where, if he, what was his stance on measures. Um, and I don't, I can't find, I, I, from what I'm reading, he didn't say anything about like, he wasn't in support of mandates. What I'm reading is he was like, all right, if people are not going to, they have the right not to take the vaccine, but uh, they should at least say like, this is not, that he said this, I'm not saying it, but he said remove themselves from society, which I don't agree with. But I'm looking if he said anywhere, a mandate. <laughs> he wouldn't even like Chomsky wouldn't even really have a conversation. I mean, I didn't listen to everything, but I remember like what Kenny was referencing when he was out shilling for Biden. And I remember I think I heard him mm-hmm. debating Brianna Joy Gray, right? Who was kind of, I don't know where she actually ended up with you know, her, her final stance, but she was basically arguing that like people have perfectly logical rights and not support, um, Biden, right. Especially like Bernie people. And he, he was awful. I mean, he wouldn't even, he just kept cutting her off. Just, nope, you have a simple choice. You have a simple choice. Like I wouldn't even put him on the surface level in the, in the category of like actually willing to have transparent debates because I agree with you, Eduardo. Like, I, I would have liked these past couple of years to have seen open debates and town halls, like including positions that, that I disagree happen. with. But that didn't happen, you know. And he's not like he's no exception. He didn't facilitate any sort of open conversation. And, and I have to say, he is an act. He's he has the cowardice of an academic. The reason you're not able to find his position around mandates is because he hides it in his fucking bullshit of words. Here's what he said when, when, when challenged about the idea, well, what about people who refuse to take it? He goes, well, what about people who refuse to honor red lights and green lights? Well, if they don't go through, if they go through that red light, then they get a ticket. What is he saying other than the state has the Mm -hmm. right to control people He's using, it's a very tricky argument, but he's essentially saying the state has a right to, to, to monitor and check people who are going to break their laws. He didn't have, I don't remember him saying I'm for mandates. He plays that little fucking trick game, which is worse, which is worse than saying I'm again, I'm for mandates because he's a fucking coward. He's a fucking weasel. He's a fucking trickster. Get the fuck out of my face, Chomsky. You're no good. I'm not going to say he did worse damage than Obama, but in terms of the revolutionary left, no, Obama and, and Sanders probably, but, but man, what a fucking piece of shit. That's what I would say. You're not the you have to him. I have no problem listen, you listening to him and, and getting some, I have no problem with that. I, it, but uh, he's worse than that woman Thornburg, Greta. Why? What did she say? Because she, I think, can at least say that she's younger, but this guy has been through it all. 
and he wrote books about oh 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 trusted he's worse than i thought you meant the other way around that she was worse. no no for some reason i i didn't hear it yeah Yeah. no oh i see he's worse than her disgusting at at the same time it's like i'm not gonna play cancel culture right like i don't fucking agree with his shit he doesn't understand what the fuck is going on you know right now um and if people haven't read manufacturing consent go fucking read that shit and make your own conclusions you know, like, at the end of the day, we're advocating for everyone to have an independent mind, right? That's what we're saying, like, that we will work with the people who will ask shit that's not, like, at face value, you know, who, who will see beyond the face value that is presented to us, who will not just take Prashad's fucking, you know, argument and Chomps' arguments and just fucking regurgitate that shit. Criticize them, you know, cr- critique them all. Critique Cornell West, you know, all these fuckers who have a lot of influence on the quote-unquote radical left. Because they've been wrong completely on and over year after year in the you know in my at least in my adult life just analyze that but it doesn't mean they haven't contributed some shit just like there some right wingers you know also have some shit to say you know but but I'm not gonna play the fucking game of you know right or left or like you know cancel you cancel you it's just I disagree with his ass right now he's fucking causing a lot of damage in my view you know, and, and they don't, and I don't think he has a, a reading, nor Prashad, or, or what the fuck is actually happening in the world now. It's kind of interesting how, like, because we've kind of gone off Putin here, but I think it's interesting how our animosity is, like, so much more raw and, like, passionate when it comes to our own political elites and like ruling class simps and whatever, you know, even as we're recognizing that Putin is, you know, a criminal politician, just like any other in some respects. And I guess, I don't know, it gets me back to, I feel like we often come back to this point of kind of like, yes, it's helpful to like analyze and critique other nations and other, other people's systems. But at the end of the day, it's like, our job is to hold our people accountable, right? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to thread it together here, guys. <laughs> uh, I do agree with you, Jessica. It's like our we have to hold our people accountable. I hope folks listening that may be uh, what is considered the right do the same thing on their side, right? Like if they're look, listening in on this. I'm not ready to myself. I'm not ready to just dismiss anybody just because of a difference of thought or opinion. There isn't for me. It's still uh, can see can still hold it two sides of a person. There are the very wrong and awful positions that people took, especially against working people. Right? Like there was that awfulness, and then also being like. Thank you for saying what you were saying on these other media sources, but at the same time, like you didn't, you weren't stepping it up and you weren't saying these things when people were being vilified some time ago. And now you're saying people are being vilified because they want peace movements and they want the Ukrainian war to stop. So I, it's not my way, but I can hear the passion and the anger in Kenny and Livson and Livson. But again, but we you've can, already expressed it, Kenny. <laughs> I, we can we can make that excuse with anything, I guess. You know, with 
you know, we can become tools for anything. I don't know if I'm making any excuse. I wouldn't categorize what I'm saying. As I mean, what's that phrase? The 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 road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't think Chomsky has any good intentions. Eduardo does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I trust you, Eduardo. I don't trust Chomsky. I mean, I, I sympathize with what you're saying. Like, I fucking wish that I remember being at Occupy and I met Amy Goodman and I was like, just so enamored. I was like, wow, like, this is a true anti-imperialist. Like, I really wish I could just. Yeah, I met her too. It's hard, <laughs> isn't it? When a friend of ours uh, quoted something that I, I think of when I see people like Amy Goodman, you know, the people in, I guess, in Berkeley or some areas of Oakland, San Francisco, hippie capitalists. I Maybe I think, I'm hoping this is the last thing I'll say on this. Um, there's something I believed a long time about the responsibility of folks. So I think about people like Malcolm X and Huey Newton, Lenin, uh, Marx, Rosa Luxemburg, Gramsci, uh, Fred Hampton, um, and Eugene Debs. And the things that come to mind for me are the, and I'm, I'm not sure I believe this anymore, but I still currently believe it, but I have a question about it, which is that when, when you attempt, when you are put forward by people who are trying to fight for a cause as a leader, and, and it is, leaders don't create movements, movements create leaders, but there, I feel like there's a responsibility for those leaders to to do the right things, to, to, to lead. And, um, and when they don't, they, they, there is a double, like they take a double whipping, they take a double beating for being such a disappointment to the principles that we were all supposedly fighting for. Currently, because there's so much cult of personality problems, I've, I'm even questioning whether that is a proper analysis, um, whether that's a proper thing. But that is something I have felt a long time because I did, when I ran for um, the vice president of our union, I remember saying to Darylin, like, I have, if I, if this happens, I have a responsibility to do everything I said I was going to do. And if I don't, then I'm a double disappointment, you know, and it, I don't get a break for when I make one mistake and, or two mistakes. I mean, if I, if I apologize and make, do make right on it, then you can kind of, you know, like you can recover. But once you enter that arena. You said that to me too, Andy, you said that. Yeah. Are holding you accountable yeah, if you were to and, be elected. Right. And so I feel that way, or I have felt that way. And so that's maybe, I feel like, what's going on. Because I have looked up to Chomsky. I have, he was a source of where I came to a lot of my understanding about U.S. empire. Um, I think I found other ways of looking at it. But, or if you will, found other heroes or heroines um, who I felt spoke more in a way that made more sense to me. But it might be that disappointment and maybe I need to let go of that. But I also for a long time felt like when you're, when you're in a fight to make the world change in a world. And when you have, when people have put their trust at you as a, as a leader in that, I feel there's a special responsibility that comes with that. I feel like you have to, you have to fight for that cause. Then you can't give up on it just because it's uncomfortable and you want to be in with the crowd. I mean, that's what I feel like you did. But I, I will say, I'm not 100% sure I believe that anymore. It's just that that's something I, I felt firmly a year or two ago. Um, now I'm less sure about it. Again, I, I, just like Libsyn, I 
Chomsky and Prashad, I've read their shit a lot. <laughs> I actually recommend people do. But again, really with sobriety, you know, really with, you know, these people are not immortal. These people also get shit wrong, you know, and I think that's, there is emotion, just like Lipson, because I, you know, I did look up to them in some ways. And I, I think they're lost in, in, in their, again, academic worldview. It is, you know, and, you know, I think people know how much I, I uh, rail against like the intellectual arrogance of, you know, the educated class and, and, you know, to me, they're part of it, you know, and doesn't mean they don't have good ideas. They haven't contributed, you know, good stuff. But it's again like there are no gods, you know, no masters, no gods, right? And and you know there is value in what they've contributed, but right now they have no sense of what's happening and they're doing damage, you know, to the prospects of revolutionary change. That's what I said earlier. And you know, in there, you know, they're at dead end. I put them on the same line with Bernie Sanders and Ocasio Cortez. You know, they're, they're recruiting to put, bring you back into the system, not to make you a radical, you know, like, yeah. uh, not to challenge, you know, anything with substance. Uh, at, this point, at this point, if you're just, I think if you're just listening and regurgitating their shit, it's just, just going to lecture. Yeah, I don't really have much to add, but I, I agree. I think, I mean, at the end of the day, to me, moral courage like when it when it really counts is worth way more than like all the intellectualism and like even correct analysis in the world and like yeah I have manufacturing consent on my bookshelf I think it's a helpful analysis to apply but apply it in real life like when it matters um yeah yeah all right Let's see what the comment sections. <laughs> now I know what Halloween costume I can do next year to just trigger Andy. <laughs> you do. Like, this is, I, I can't be Tomsky because I don't think I could pull that off, but I can totally do the like, I'm Amy Goodman. Democracy <laughs> Now, the Look, war peace report. Eduardo knows what he's doing when he mentions democracy now in one of our episodes. He's, in, he's in, inciting me. He's like, he throws red meat into the lion cage and wonders why the lion is like going crazy. <laughs> well, um, as I'm looking for my outro and ready to dismiss us. Yes. Um, What's left? <laughs> yeah. You know who has been true and stuck was my boyfriend, Glenn Greenwald, who has been very consistent and stuck with us all the way. <laughs> He worked for Piero Mediar, Eduardo. Come on, we have to get past this crush. <laughs> hey, I'll take. He used to be. He I went from think, AOC to. <laughs> yes, exactly. He used to think that the squad was like these women group of like mermaids. They were supposed to be. <laughs> but you know, but you know, he, Glenn Greenwald, uh, he went from like. Do you know what I appreciate about him? Here's what I will say is that he invites regular people to debate him on Rumble. 
like not he said you know i've been getting a lot of criticism i'm just gonna pull out a number and if you're you know and you should debate me if you think you're in attack me and go after me and he has these hour-long debates with people who are not any intellectuals or well-renowned people they're just regular audience who have said that he's betrayed them or betrayed the left according to what they say right and so he discusses it but a fair 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 statement yes all right okay uh, i'm going to be left with no crushes <laughs> all right so that does it for this week's episode uh uh, what's left is a weekly political podcast that's channel challenging the mainstream left, where we one day we'll also be held accountable for a lot of things that we say, and we'll also be <laughs> one day. <laughs> we're, we're at old time character <laughs> assassinated one day. I'll be fired from our jobs, probably. <laughs> oh, Jesus. We'll be fired from our jobs. I hope not. I'll never, I'm writing this week, and I'll probably never get published. That's what's going to happen with me. <laughs> That does it for this week's episode. What's left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episodes where we found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webno.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to, the pod, to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. Why am I always being <clears throat> dry at this hour? I remind folks, if you if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, Telegram. You can find our blog in any of those links in the episode notes where we from this episode. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Uh, I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host teacher and socialist uh, Andy Lipson and writer and social writer. Excuse me. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host Jessica. Excuse me. Excuse me. Let us finish. <laughs> I don't know why I'm struggling right now. If you would, if you, I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host Jessica, Kenny Cepeda, and Andy Lipson. And you can find our social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZPK on Instagram and jhome89 as Jessica's Twitter handle. Thank you for listening, everyone. Ciao. <laughs>